Create boundaries and realize that getting out of debt starts with you. It's no one's financial responsibility to improve your finances. It's yours. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer, make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Tanya Rapley is a millennial money expert best known for her education platform, MyFab Finance. She's on a mission to help millennials break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck so that they can focus on growing their wealth. And she's here today to teach us her tips for paying down and eliminating debt and reducing financial stress, which so many of us are feeling these days. We're also going to get into other hot money topics like combining finances with a partner and the surprisingly easy ways you can make a few hundred bucks. Ready to get into a wealth mindset? Well, keep listening as I welcome our guest to the show. Hey, Tanya, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. (laughs) We love to talk about money on this show. So (laughs) you're one of our favorite people already. Um, So first off, I have to say there are recent studies suggesting 79% of women are feeling financial stress right now. I imagine Mm -hmm. it's always high, but this feels extremely high. Is this what you've also observed? You know, I think that people have always been financially stressed about the pandemic has like, wait, you thought you were financially stressed? (laughs) Actually, let's shut down the entire world and see how you do with that. So I think that this is putting a new face on what financial stress looks like. But surprisingly, I've also seen people that because of the workforce, how it's more virtual and more flexible than it has in the past. Some people are making better financial decisions. They're seeing that they're spending less because they're not going out and buying things to go out and they weren't able to travel. Um, So there has been a silver lining um, for quite a few people. But I think that financial stress is always underlying because people want to make sure they're doing the right things with their money. Nobody wants to get into retirement or reach, you know, the golden years and feel like, what did I do all that time? And people are scared of doing that. Yeah, totally. I have parents who are on the brink of retirement right now, and this last year has kind of thrown them a little off that course. So I'm sure a lot of people out there are pushing things back in their life, primarily due to all these money stresses. So I know that we're going to talk a lot about how to help our listeners feel less stressed, but I want to get started with your money story. How did you build all of this expertise And were you always super savvy with finances when you were like around your friends growing up? Girl, no, (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) I think that when people found out that I was a financial educator, even my parents are like, what? Okay. (laughs) They're like, what is that? Yeah. My first times being punished and the only times I was a really good kid, but the only times I ever got punished was because of my performance in math class. And so growing up, I um, struggled with math and I assumed that math equaled money, you know, like numbers, numbers. And I kind of used it as a path for why I wasn't doing the right things with my money. But I, I ended up going to college and got a degree in public administration and was working in the nonprofit sector, helping low income women in Brooklyn. And there were women who were doctors and attorneys and Broadway actresses. 
living at our low income housing facility because they had mismanaged their money in their younger years. And I was like, oh my, this is you, Tanya. If you don't get it together, this is you. And so uh, my one of my friends gave me a book, uh, Susie Orman's Young, Broken, Fabulous. And I started <laughs> I reading Susie that book. <laughs> yeah, I started reading that book. And I was like, okay, this is good, but it doesn't resonate. And then I started looking for other resources. And when I say it doesn't resonate, I was, you know, I was 20 something living in New York City at the time. I wanted to enjoy my time in New York City. Like I didn't want to move back to North Carolina uh, and get a banking job. I wanted to make it work wherever I was. And so that's when I realized that, you know, there's a way you can figure out, figure this thing out. Just do it. Like just figure it out. And as I started figuring it out and how money worked and how I could use money better as a tool in my life to become a more responsible steward of my money, I started sharing it with the blog. And um, here we are six years later, and I've been full-time as a financial educator since then, since 2015. I started my company in 2013 and then became a full-time entrepreneur in 2015. Wow. That must feel really empowering to get to help people navigate through the, the mess that is money. I remember in marriage counseling with my husband, the three things that you're supposed to talk about the most or that are scariest to talk about, especially when you're married, are sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then there's like general communication and sort of personality and then money. And so I know it's a topic that feels really taboo to a lot of people and we all think about it differently and we were all raised with a different type of money mindset. Like I was raised to always buy things on sale and save, save, save and be super scrappy with my money. And my husband was raised a whole different way. So there's just a lot to unpack here. And I want to know this, you know, after all these years being a financial educator, what are the most common questions that you get about money and finance from your community? Oh, yeah. And you're you're absolutely right. Like marriage and finances, Managing your money as an individual is hard enough, and then you throw someone else in their upbringing into the equation. It's like, wait, okay, now I'm managing my money. I'm managing you. I'm managing your money. It just <laughs> becomes a lot. Uh, but yeah, w- one of the questions a lot of people ask me really is, am I doing this right? Am I on track? Like, what should I be doing? So many people are clueless about where to get started, and some people don't even realize they're further along than they assume they are. But it really, the most common question is, where do I get started? The next most common question is, girl, these student loans, like I need you to help me with these student loans. Uh, And the third common question is, you do financial education. I want to buy a house. Can you help me? Like, and I'm like, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a mortgage lender, but I can kind of get you in the right, the right area. And so those are the most common questions that I get. But overwhelmingly, people just are confused about, am I doing the right things based on where I am right now? Mm-hmm. And do you see a difference in these questions from men versus women? I'm always fascinated with the psyche of money by gender role. Absolutely. Men have it, quote unquote, all figured out. Uh, and like, I just, I just need <laughs> you to look over, just need you to look over, make sure, you know, I'm making the right decisions. Like, sir, your finances are in shambles, actually. Um, and her, <laughs> meanwhile, this woman over here has been doing the right thing. Men, are, you, men typically can be a little overconfident about their financial ability. But they're more confident in general, I find. And if anything, I'm happy that so many women are stepping into the finance space because for such a long time, it's been a male-dominated industry. And a lot of women are showing like, no, you can be a badass and be good at managing money. You can be 
feminine and be good at managing money. You can be a mom and good at managing money. Like you can be yourself and still be good at managing your money. Um, so, but men are typically are a little more confident and just like want me to check their work. <laughs> I love that. I am in the venture capital community. And um, apart from being an entrepreneur, I've noticed that male entrepreneurs are also slightly more overconfident, which I actually mean in a, in a uh, complimentary way because mm -hmm. they're selling the dream and they are definitely gonna achieve that dream. And this is for sure a billion dollar company in the next three to five years versus some of the female founders that pitch me that are like, well, if all of these 10 variables work out, then maybe we will we'll cross $100 million in revenue over 10 years and blah, 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 blah. But it has to be like this, this, and this. And so I'm like, girl, you got to sell the dream and you got to believe right. the dream and like live the dream. And, and it's the same in investing too. We recently did an episode about crypto and I saw, yeah. Um, how, yeah, like women just aren't participating because it is high risk and it's kind of scary. And, and I think men are just a little bit more, they're full of a what is the word like gumption? They're just like, yeah, I'm going to go for it and just try it and see. So anyways, women, we, Tanya and I encourage you to get confident about what you're doing. And, you know, I do think it's important that we learn first the right strategies to be, to be using with money. So, so let's get into it. Let's talk about debt. This is like the D word that a lot of people are afraid to bring up. Aren't most people in debt? You know, debt is interesting because there's so many different philosophies when it comes to it. I think that people who don't understand how to properly utilize debt end up fearing it a lot. And then there are some people who know how to leverage debt to achieve their goal. And so debt feels differently on different people based on their understanding of what it can allow them to do. But a lot of people have it. Yes, a lot of people do have it. There is a slim minority that is just absolutely completely debt free. and. If that works, if that's what you aspire to, then great. And when I, when I think about debt, you know, there's so many different types of debt. There's good debt, there's bad debt. And even some, I'm not the financial educator who is completely anti-debt. I'm, I'm just not. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes down to like some of the smaller things that I enjoy in life, I'm just like, okay, well, I know I'm going to work to pay this off. Let's go ahead and do this. Like right now I'm struggling. I'm, I'm going to go back and forth every single day about getting a new car, like every single day. I'm like, I really, really? want to take a car payment every day. Oh my gosh. But yeah, a lot of people do have debt, whether it's in the form of their mortgage, in the form of their student loans, in the form of credit card debt, they have it. And it's an understanding how to properly manage it and utilize it to help you reach your next step, which determines like whether that debt is useful debt for you. So talk to me about this. What is good debt and what is bad debt? Can you give me some examples? So historically or typically in our finance community, good debt is seen as something for like a consumer purchase or something that is not going to yield your return on that purchase. So buying clothes on a credit card, maybe going on a trip that's not associated with business, but going on a trip for pleasure if you don't have the money set aside to do it. Buying cars because cars are depreciating. I mean, cars depreciate; they're they're not necessarily the best assets to own unless it's a classic car. So that's typically seen as bad debt. In some instances, we're seeing that some student loan debt can be bad debt because, like, where's the return on investment of that degree? That one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar degree, and you graduate from college making forty thousand dollars a year if you're lucky. So now there is a changing tide of student loans and like how good is student loan debt. 
But historically, that had been seen as good debt. A mortgage has been seen as good debt because eventually they'll make they'll make sense, or they'll pay themselves off, or pay you back in some type of way. There's different comfort levels when it comes to debt, and I think that everybody has to identify their personal comfort level. I think that you become more comfortable with having a small amount of debt, or like having a mortgage. When you are confident in your income earning ability and you manage your finances in other areas of your life, so you're not spending extravagantly across the board. Um, so you know that, okay, all right, I've made space to make this purchase and I can make this purchase. Yeah, for sure. And especially right now, right? I mean, at the time of this podcast, we've just been through a year of a pandemic and the government is trying to keep the economy afloat. So interest rates are fairly low for things like houses and and student loans. Did they get, remind me, did they get completely wiped for a period of time for student loans? For student loans, yes, they're like on pause. They're not accumulating. Your student loans are not accumulating any interest at the moment. Yeah. So, and that's the other part to worry about, right, is that interest rate. So it's one thing if you can afford that down payment on the new house, but, you know, you want to make sure that the, uh, payments with the interest rate are are going to be sufficient for you to be able to pay off over that long term, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the things is I, one of the great things about being a millennial right now is there are so many options. There are so many different options out there for someone who is afraid of credit cards. For example, there's a firm and a firm is a transparent and flexible way, an alternative to credit cards. And it makes it easier for you to stick to your financial goals. So for example, it gives you that flexibility to pay over time on a schedule that works for your budget. So maybe there is this larger item that you've been looking at, whether it's a need or a want. Um, it's no longer I have to utilize a credit card with exorbitant interest rate to make this purchase. It's like, OK, I have an option. I can use a firm and spread this payment out over time and have transparent pricing and know what I'm paying up front. So things are starting to look different. Um, but for a, a long time, I think there's it, credit cards and banks have really left a sour taste in people's mouths mm, and that yeah. interest can really be the nail in the coffin. We, we all know if you pay right. the minimum amount, like a credit card, it could cost you triple of what the actual debt was. So understandably so, but there are ways. So to- just to be clear for those that don't know. So with a firm, for instance, and I know this is just one example of kind of this new generation of, uh, financial tools that are, um, kind of putting it to the man, the man being like their banks and credit cards. But okay, so let's say I want to go on like this exorbitant post post vaccine vacation. And um, but it's going to be like $10,000 that I don't have. Could I ask a firm to give me like a payment plan on that and they cover me for the 10,000? So the way it works is they have preferred vendors or retailers that you could shop with. And so maybe like you want to cover the lodging portion. So they work with VRBO. So you could cover that, the lodging portion of your trip with a firm, or maybe there's other elements that you want on that trip. So $10,000, you know, hey, it's, it's up to an individual. But yeah, you would be able to spread that out over time. So you could say, I want to pay this back in three months. I want to pay this back in full in six months. I want to pay this back in full in nine months. And then it would show you, okay, this is how much your payments are going to be. This is how much you'll pay in interest if you do this, just to give, let you know. So very transparent. And then um, one of the things I like, it's it's a new company. And so, you know, they have an app that's really intuitive. I've used a firm. Like there are things that I was like, you know what? I want that, but I don't want to use all my cash available to me right now to do it. But I know I can pay. I'll just put it on a firm. So like the very first luxury handbag I bought myself, I um, used a firm to buy oh, it. Oh, 
I haven't done that yet in my lifetime. I feel this is like a, a female rite of passage. It <laughs> I have is, girlfriends that are like, you've different. never bought like you're a nice handbag. I was like, no, first of all, I'm not really a bag person. But second, like I can't like convince myself to spend more than like $200 on a purse. But, but we I all know. have our things, Britt. We all have our things. I'm telling you, this is the money mindset thing I was taught when I was yeah. little. It was like, go to Ross <laughs> and Target and Walmart and buy all of your stuff there. And I'm like, oh, God. My mom um, was definitely like, you spent what? But I bought it to celebrate my highest revenue generating year in business. And I was like, hey, yeah, I'm going to I'm just going to buy it, you know, and I, I don't regret it. But one of the things I did was being mindful of my budget and like, do I want to use all the cash? Like, do I want to spend cash on it and I can or do I just want to spread it out over time and just kind of minimize the impact of it. And so I decided to do that. And it's, and so that's one of the great things about it. Like they work with over 7,900 retailers. Oh, cool. So it gives you options. It, it reminds me of uh, when, when I was younger. So I did come up like that as well, where my mom was like very frugal. We went straight to the sale rack. Like I know where the sale rack is. Like an internal compass yeah. is installed in my body. <laughs> um, and like, I was very familiar with the layaway counter. So yeah. I, it kind of reminded me of that. And like layaway, but you get your things now. Um, and then you pay it off over time. Yeah, exactly. I love that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so going back to debt, though, you know, how would you prescribe people to get out of debt? Like, what's the amount that they should be trying to pay off each month? I know it's probably very specific to each person, but do you have any like formulas we could use to think about this? You know, not a specific formula, but as as much as you reasonably can. Honestly, it is as much as you reasonably can. And reasonably means looking at your budget, looking at what your financial responsibilities are looking at the things you can cut out or the ways you can bring in additional money so you can use that to um, attack your debt. Because sometimes things have to change. I remember when I first got started as a financial educator and I really needed to get control of like some bad debt that I had before I became a financial educator from my college years. And I took a part-time job and that part-time job, I was making maybe an additional like $400 a week, but I would use that to put towards my debt. And you know, that that made a big impact. That was like $1,600 a month. And sometimes I could put $2,000 towards that I would. Uh, and that was, so sometimes it means you're going to have to move things around in your budget or also find ways to make more money, but then stop creating it. That's a big thing. It's stop creating debt. If you're trying to get out of debt, you have to like have a come to Jesus moment with yourself or whatever power you believe in, but you have to have a moment of self-awareness where you realize that I am actually not doing anything to improve my situation. I don't feel good about the debt that I have. And this starts with me in the decision to stop creating it. So if I have to create boundaries, such as freezing my credit cards, leaving my credit cards home when I go shopping, not even putting myself in the situation where I know I will overspend. Even if you have to like take yourself out of the group chat because your friends are talking about planning a trip that you know you can't afford. Like, Create boundaries and realize that getting out of debt starts with you. It's no one's financial responsibility to improve your finances. It's yours. 
So those are the two things. It's like really have that moment of self-awareness, stop creating it, and then move things around so you can put as much as you can afford towards it or get a, find extra ways to make money to put money towards it. And it's so psychological too, right? I think about it almost like dieting, which I know is the other like D word that no one likes to talk about and has a, such a stigma. But, you know, I, despite whatever diet fads are out there, I think the principles generally are like, you know, if you want to lose a few pounds, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't be eating cheeseburgers and like cookies every day. But your mind tells you you really want that because it makes you feel emotionally good. And your friends, same same analogy, right? If your friends are all going out to dinner every Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday to have cheeseburgers and cookies, like, but you want to be there and your friends are doing it. And so there's like some social pressure. Um, but the reality is like, you know, you have to get to a baseline first of just like reducing mm -hmm. the cheeseburgers. And then once you're at baseline and you're sort of emotionally stable on that front from a psychological point of view of not wanting the cheeseburger, then you can start to like, maybe cut back on other things. And so is, is that kind of similar to how you should think about debt? Like, should you first stop spending um, and try to just get to like a baseline budget? And then you can think about what to pay off and, and how to actually scale back even further. That's a really good analogy. As someone who completely cut sugar out of her diet, like last May, I was just celebrating. Like I, I used to be a year. Monster. You've done it's no been sugar. A year. It's been a year. The, oh, I like, can't do it. I do like monk fruit or a stevia as a sweetener. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been it's been no sugar um, and minimizing natural sugar. So I definitely, definitely understand that struggle. But I think that it is you can do both and maybe one would encourage the other. So you can decide like you can decide how much you can afford to pay and look at what you're going to pay and have an assessment of your finances. And you can commit to not creating any new debt because I don't want to underscore the importance of taking the, your entire picture and looking at how much debt you have. Because sometimes that's a catalyst like, oh, friend, this has gotten out of hand. I have to stop right now when you look at how much you owe and what it's going to take. So I think that you should carve out time. Um, hopefully it doesn't take more than an hour or two hours to really look at your finances, look at your debt, look at how much you have. And in that moment, commit to like, see this number? I'm committing not to add to this. I know interest might be attached to it, but I am personally committing that I will not make a purchase that increases this number because it's my goal to reduce it. And mm -hmm. I think that can be really powerful because it's, it gives you even more motivation. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and what do you say about that mindset problem? You know, there's someone very close to me who has been ridden by debt for years and years and years. But, um, you know, when, when he was younger, buying things. Uh, his parents used to buy him things as a way to show love. And mm -hmm. it's that it's like the opposite of what I had, right? <laughs> like only go to the sale rack. It was like for him, that was love and that was nurture. And so do you talk to people about this? Do you have to get almost like therapeutic about how they think about things and stuff as it relates absolutely, to money? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many emotions intertwined in our finances and decisions we make and the habits that we've taken on as adults and we don't even realize it. So um, one of the things I have my Fat Finance Bootcamp and we're, we're like a week four now. And yesterday, this week we did the core value work and so many people realized that they were making financial decisions that were against their core values because it was in reaction to experiences they had as a child or beliefs they had taken on as a child. And sometimes when you look at your debt, you're like, oh my gosh, 
this is related to my sense of like belonging or, oh my gosh, this is related to my sense of accomplishment. Even like, you know, I said I bought a bag for myself when I had my, my most profitable year <laughs> ever. And that was one of the things growing up. So one thing I have to be mindful of is like, are we doing this too much? Like, are we, is this a habit? Is this a thing that we're right. doing consistently? Like, let's check ourselves. You know, it exists. Okay. You're a human. Sometimes you might give into it, but is this something you're doing on a regular basis? So it's not to beat yourself up. It's to be aware of how those experiences are driving your financial decisions. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, it's funny. We host this program called Self-Made. It's a 10-week course to help women start and grow their businesses. We've had over a thousand women in the last year come through this program and they're all like fairly new entrepreneurs. And that money mindset thing is, is actually a struggle for them in their professional lives and in their personal lives because mm-hmm. for many of them, they don't know how to price their products based on what they're worth and what the products are, should be valued at. And especially if the, it's a services-based business, so like maybe they are a coach or maybe they are you know, an interior designer or you know, it's a service they will often give away their services for free and they will give people discounts and they'll just undercut themselves left and right because they aren't valuing their worth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you see this come up a lot in your community? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it happened with me when I first got started. You'll reach new norms in your life where it's like, okay, this this is what was normal and this is the new normal. This is how much I actually can make doing this service. And sometimes it'd be like, I've never made that much money. Why would anybody pay me to do that? And then you hit that and you're like, oh, wow. They're actually agreeing to pay me that. Well, I should have been asking this all along. It's that confidence muscle that you have to build. You have to build the confidence in asking and asserting what you're worth. And sometimes you have to realize that maybe I need someone else to do it. Maybe I have to put on an alter ego. I know friends who, when they got started in their business, they had a uh, secondary email that kind of acted, and this is pretty proof like service-based entrepreneurs. Um, but they had a secondary email where they would act as somebody else on their team and they would do negotiating from that email. So it didn't feel like it was themselves. And then they had their own email, um, until they could hire someone to do it for them. And you could see that it's, it's just, it's one of those, you, you have to get more comfortable with it. And you, the more you try it, the more comfortable you get. Um, but it does happen at every step. I mean, I've gotten significantly more confident asking for more, but there are some moments where I'm like, wow, Tanya. You've never been paid that much. Are you sure? Are you sure? You know, are, and that's that that imposter syndrome that a lot of women have. That's a lack of confidence that a lot of women have. And just just go through it. Like, what's the worst could happen? They they negotiate with you. They say it's not within their budget. You say, oh, okay. Well, what did you have in mind? So I I see oh, yeah. it a lot. I see it a lot, and I want more women to. It's so funny. Me and one of my friends who um has an empowerment based business and helps women business owners too. She's always joking like, oh my gosh, my lash technician and my esthetician joined my program and now I got to pay them for the entire year before I tell them to raise their rates. <laughs> because it's like, you. she's like, I want to hire people before they know how valuable they are, but then I want them to know how valuable they are. Right. So yeah. it, 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 it's, it's interesting, but once you know your value, there's no turning back. It's, it's, it's a real struggle. And I am not going to lie and say that I don't still face this. I'm, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I run a venture capital fund, like on paper, it looks like, oh, it's like probably so easy for me. But it's funny, like I haven't given myself a raise in like years, whereas I give a lot of my employees raises annually and I am not bonusing myself the way that I bonus 
other people in my company. And it's and it's it's the opposite of what a founder should do, because at the end of the day, you need to be the most incentivized to run your business right. and celebrate that accomplishment through a financial reward. So yeah, there's a whole like psychological trip uh, that's in here that everyone needs to probably work out in their own therapy session. Absolutely. But I just want you to know if you're listening, like, listen to me and Tanya, like this is pretty normal. And so as it relates to your personal finances too, you probably, you know, might be kicking yourself a lot and saying like, oh, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm I'm lazy. I'm whatever. I spent too much. I'm not val- like I'm not valuing me enough, whatever it is. But um, just know that there's a lot that goes into all of this from the way that we are raised, mm-hmm. the lives that we live, the jobs that we have, and and to give yourself a little bit of patience with yeah, that. Yeah, just do it. Just I know that sounds so simplified, but you just got to do it. So, so here's a hot topic. What are your thoughts on combining finances with a partner? I always think women should have their own. You know, my grandmother was very old school. My grandfather managed the finances. She kind of wasn't aware of what he had until they got into the older years when they started thinking about him transitioning. And my mom was the exact opposite. My mom's always been like, make sure you have your own. You don't know what these men are doing. And um, I was married. This is my second marriage that I'm in now. And after my first marriage, I also became team. A woman should have her own um, because of how I ended up ending that marriage. So in our household, my husband and I, we have a house account. We have our joint household goals. We're both equally responsible for putting in money into that account and our goals um, for the household. But then I have my individual finances and he has his own individual finances. We're both entrepreneurs. And so I think that also makes it an interesting scenario too. But I'm like, whatever you decide to do with your money is whatever you decide to do, as long as our needs and household responsibilities are met. Uh, and sometimes it does get in tr- it does cause issues because me being a financial educator, I will make decisions like investing my money in crypto or buying stock or opening a custodial account for our son and just investing away. And my, son, my husband was like, well, can we do that together? Can we like, can we and I'm like oh yeah bring your money to the table (laughs) Um, (laughs) wait so then hold on I want to stop you there because like first of all awesome that you invested in crypto which currency did you invest in so I have bitcoin ethereum and litecoin nice cool I recommend dogecoin (laughs) it was a hot topic of our last episode you can listen to it Um, my brother is texting me his games and like I'm like you know, I'm also the I person know. like, good for you. Like every ship isn't for me to ride out to sea. So good for you. Like, okay. It's true. It's really volatile. Yeah, it's volatile. So if you're listening and you're in debt, please don't do this. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no. So when my question is, so let's say you're investing and in, whether it's crypto or the stock market or anything, and you, you make a lot of money on that. That's your money, not your husband's, like 100%. So it it depends. It depends on if we are still together or if we're going into a, you know a divorce proceedings. And actually, that reminds me, I really need to get a post nup. We didn't have enough when I was when we got married for me to do a prenup. I'm like, oh, we got to do a post nup. Um, oh, so you're you just, all for a prenup? I am. You just never know what someone else is doing, and it doesn't mean you don't love them and trust them. I just seen so many women get burned, and I don't. As someone who's also a survivor of an abusive relationship um, and who mm. stayed in that relationship because I didn't have the finances to leave, I don't ever want any woman to give away her power 
because of money. And so that's why I'm just really big on, you know, you can be a team player, but you also got to play on your own team. So yeah, I'm like combine finances when it makes sense or for the household goals or do what works for you. Do what works for you and your relationship. There's no wrong or right way to do it. It's the way that you feel most comfortable with, but do not be ignorant or unaware of what's going on with your money. Like that, no. Yeah. No. Knowledge is power when it comes to money. Yeah. so important. And you don't want, I was watching the, um, it was Bernie Madoff who stole all that money in Long Island, right? Uh I was Uh was watching the HBO series with him and and it's just like, his wife had no idea what was going on. And when the, when everything collapsed, her life as she knew it collapsed because she Uh. was so invested in him and his ability to do everything. So I'm uh, at least learn if, if you're going to let your partner manage the money, at least be aware and at least go along for the ride. Like don't just allow them to do everything without consulting with you. Right. Uh, and you're especially seeing this uh, on the public stage right now with Bill and Melinda Gates divorcing. There's something really interesting when these really high profile, super wealthy people get divorced. And you saw it with like Jeff Bezos and his mm-hmm. wife were like, she actually inherited a ton of money and she's just like, shoveling it out to philanthropies and doing some really cool stuff with it. So, you know, maybe there's a flip side, which is positive in some ways, but there I agree is. with you. It's I like mean, I think, to each yeah. their own. And being, you know, I think given that this is a women-centric podcast, I think that we could say like women put a lot into their relationship. Like we are such, we're the backbones of households. Like we're raising children. We're we're encouraging, we're cooking and making sure you have a full stomach. We're doing all these things and everything else, um, making it possible for that person to, like granted, there's their own level of brilliance that got um, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates to where they are, but they also had very active, intelligent women in their corner who were giving them business advice at 12 a.m. when they just wanted to go to sleep or like, you know, or yeah. watching the kids so they could go close a deal and changing her plans around. So I also think that there's a level of fairness involved in it, too, because women's work is work, too. Yep. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I for sure agree with that. Trust me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so another topic I want to dive into is about easy ways to make money on the side. I always mm. like giving our listeners some like interesting ways to get some side hustle dollars, um, like $50, 100 bucks. How, how can you actually start making more money? without potentially taking on a whole new job in order to start paying off some of that debt or even just putting it into savings? You know, I think one of the easiest ways to make more money is to look at the skill sets you have that are not being monetized. And so maybe you're an excellent writer. Maybe you're very critical of of writing pieces. So you could offer proofreading services or copywriting services for people. Maybe you like kids and you want to offer babysitting services or You know, even if it comes down to delivering groceries in your free time, um, but there's so many different ways to make money, especially now with the gig economy, even if it's renting out. I know I was um, reading and I have another project that we were doing and um, Brian Chesky of Airbnb is a part of it. He was saying the demand is enormous right now because so many people have quarantine fatigue and are ready to hit the road now that they have vaccines and feel more comfortable Uh, and people are looking for homes to rent. So maybe it's something as simple as that. I was working with a woman who decided to rent her entire house out and her and her daughter went to stay with her mom for a couple of weeks. And she doubled her mortgage that month um, from renting her house out. So 
there's so many different ways. Definitely look into the gig economy or look into monetizing a skill set that you already have. That's an extension of like your expertise. We often downplay what we're good at because it comes easy to us, but sometimes that's exactly what someone else needs. I know like on my end, I'm about to look for like a project manager for my fab finance. For someone else, organization and managing products is their wheelhouse. For me, it's like, no, no, I need, <laughs> I, I create content and I, I write and I educate yeah. and I need someone else to manage the flow. Um, but there's someone who needs what you're good at. And so be intentional about looking for that. But then when you do make additional money, make sure that you're like using it to improve your life in some way. So maybe you're using it to pay down debt or maybe you're just building your savings because you went, you barreled through your savings during this pandemic, or you realized that you didn't have nearly enough saved in the event of a personal or global emergency. So, uh, you know, I'm always saying be on the lookout for those quality savings accounts that allow you to save more. And I know I mentioned a firm earlier, but they're just a unique company in which they also offer their high yield savings accounts. So that can also help people reach their savings goals. I'm all about inconvenient savings accounts. And by inconvenient, I mean, it's not connected to your primary checking account. Um, I think, you know, when I was in college, I was so guilty of, I had like $50 in my savings account and that was balling in college. And I'd be at the (laughs) counter in Macy's and I'd be like, you know what? Let me just transfer $25 over, you know? Yeah, I need that new mascara for sure. Yeah, exactly. I I need it. How else am I going to blink at people? Like what? Um, And so- (laughs) It was important. So I realized the importance for me of creating boundaries and having inconvenient savings accounts. And that's one of the things I like about the Affirm High Yield Savings Account. It allows you to have that inconvenient savings account and they offer an interest rate of 0.65%, which is one of the highest rates around. Um, So I'm really big on that. Plus they don't charge any minimums. You have to be really mindful of minimums and the fees because the fees can eat into your savings too. So they don't have fees. So look into a safe place a smart place, an inconvenient place to put your money if saving is your goal. I like that, an inconvenient savings account. I've never heard that before. I think that's like so smart. It's, it feels almost like back to like Bitcoin just because I'm hot on it right now, but it's like it's inconvenient to have to like find this whole crazy passcode to get into your like crypto wallet. Um, and that's the point, right? Is that you, you want it to be point. hard to access this money because it's sitting there for a reason. And you, you set it and forget it. it. Like I bought yeah. Bitcoin like maybe four or five years ago and kind of just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Lost like my coin Coinbase access information. And then it was in the news. I was like, wait a minute. Let me go check my account. Like, let me see what I'm doing. Like, whoa, $10,000. <laughs> my balance. I was like, whoa. And like, you know, I had to reset my account password and everything. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about. With an inconvenient savings account, my inconvenient savings account, every single time I want to log in, I have to reset the password. Like, cause I forgot I it. it. Like, it's just not that committed to memory, but it is easy for me to put money in there. So it's connected to my different bank accounts. It's connected to my oh. personal checking. It's connected to my business checking. It's connected to my personal PayPal. So it's easy for me to transfer money into it, but it's, mm. it doesn't look me in the face every day. And that's what you want. Yeah. Something that's not looking at you every day. Like, Hey, Right. You got this money over here. I know it's not. Or, you know, find someone you trust and give them your savings account password and tell them to change it and not tell you the password. (laughs) That's very inconvenient. Yeah, it is. is. So make it convenient to put money in, but inconvenient to take money out. Well, this is yeah, this was actually taught to me through email. So I'm going on a vacation soon 
And I'm really bad on vacation because I actually do check my email, even when I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to like not be working. And so someone told me that what he does is he gives his like assistant um, the, the password to his email and asks her to change it the week that he's on vacation. And then he literally is locked out of his wow. email and she'll oh she'll check God. it and make sure there's no nothing on fire. I was like, oh, I'm getting like really hot inside. This is bothering me. Anxiety. <laughs> Oh my, that's that's next level boundaries. I know. It's not just like an out of office message and then you're still creeping on your email. So same thing with your bank account, you guys, if you actually want to save money. And I did have to say too, I've invested in this company called neighbor.com in terms of thinking about how to make money without thinking about it. It's so cool. You actually can, you know, turn part of your home that you're not using or like a storage area or an attic that is not super full into a storage area for like some of your neighbors that'll pay you for it. So instead of them having to like pay for like a offsite storage, blah, blah, blah unit, or like maybe their kid went to college or something like that and they have all their stuff in their room that they don't want to get rid of, they can like store it in your garage and pay you 200 bucks a month for that. And it's literally like you don't have to do anything. So I'm going to look into that. That's brilliant. Like, and you literally don't do anything. You just like open the door here. Here you go. Yeah. You're literally like, you're like, here's my attic that I literally don't use. So if you want to pay me 300 bucks a month to store your boxes in my attic, cool. That'd be perfect for my grandmother. Oh my gosh. Like she lives alone, (laughs) like a four bedroom house with she, it'd be perfect for her. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, Tanya, we like to close out every episode with a homework assignment for the week. So if you mm. could encourage our listeners to do one thing this week to get their financial house in order, what would that be? I would say confront your debt and create a debt per elimination plan. So look at how much debt that you have, organize your debt amounts and interest rates, see what's costing you the most money, see what your biggest balances are and just create a plan for either bringing in more money to eliminate it or moving things around in your budget to start tackling at least one of your debts. I would love for someone to come back and send you an email or send me an email, tag us in their debt payoff and say, because of, you know, listening to the podcast, I decided to finally get rid of that, at least one of my debts. So that's my homework. Like, let's get to it. I like it. Let's get out of debt, you guys. Okay, I am on board. Tanya, this was lovely and so helpful. Where can our listeners find more about you and everything that you're up to? Absolutely. I am uniformly branded as MyFabFinance on all platforms. Go find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all the socials. Thank you for sharing your financial wisdom with us. And thank you everybody for tuning in. If you think a friend or family member would enjoy this episode, don't forget to share it with them. And if you want to leave us feedback on the show or tell us that you got out of debt, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjaysey and Aaron Peterson. 